You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. You can be seated. And once more, good morning to 840. We are walking through the book of 2 Corinthians this summer. If you want to go ahead and find uh, that book in your copy of God's Word, it's eight books into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And then, ironically, it is right after 1 Corinthians. And so that's where you'll find 2 Corinthians. We're walking through this book uh, together. And it's good. I hope you believe it's good. I believe it's very good for for Christians to walk through a book of the Bible together. I think it's a good diet for us to, to do this. I know it's not maybe as exciting as a short, vibey, topical series, and we do topical also, but it's good for our hearts and our minds to walk through Scripture, to see it in context, and just to take it all in. You know, if your daily diet is, is Pop-Tarts and macaroni and cheese. Sometimes grilled chicken and broccoli is just really good for you. It might seem boring, but it's good for you. So let's turn to the grilled chicken and broccoli book of 2 Corinthians together today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's just start here in verse 1. This is how far we've gotten so far this summer. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 1. This is Paul, and it's Timothy as well. That's why often you see the pronoun we. Um, Paul is speaking as he writes this on behalf of, of himself, on behalf of Timothy. Working together with him. Let's stop. We didn't get very far today, just four words into this. That, this is amazing in and of itself. Not that we work for God. That can sometimes produce maybe a, a cold, distant relationship, but that God allows us and calls us to work with him, it says here in verse one. Paul had already told the Corinthians back in 1 Corinthians, in the first letter he wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter three, that we are co-workers with Christ. We, we are God's fellow workers. We are co-laborers with the son, Jesus. Now, what a kind and let's also be honest, what an unnecessary invitation from God for him to invite us in, to step in and to partner with him in his kingdom work. So working together with him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, meaning Isaiah, so Paul's gonna go back and quote from Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. This is in God's grace, he listened to us. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. And then Paul, ever the present day evangelist, says, behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the time of grace. Behold, now is the day, or today is the day of salvation. So, so Paul says, we appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God and then receive it in vain. It's an interesting word in, in Greek, kanos, and it means like a fool. It means with no purpose. So, so don't receive the grace of God and receive it like you're a fool. Don't receive the grace of God and receive the grace of God for, for, for no purpose. And so we learn here that there is a grace that maybe we can lean into that has no purpose to us. There is a grace that we can accept as fools received, verse one, in, in vain, but also means there's a grace that is powerful and effective because, verse two, Paul tells us what that grace is. It's that grace when God listened to us. 
It's that grace when we called out to him and he saved us. And by his salvation, he has, he has helped us. That's a, that's a richer grace. That is not a foolish grace. It is a richer grace. It's not a, it's not a cheap grace. It is a, a costly grace. So we have this grace here that has no purpose, but also a grace here that has great purpose. Grace that fools cling to and grace that those who are saved cling to. A cheap grace and a costly grace. Let's just unpack those thoughts together for a few moments. I know we didn't make it but past verse two, but cheap grace wants neither hell nor discipleship. Costly grace wants both heaven and discipleship. Cheap grace wants neither hell nor discipleship. Cheap grace, or that grace that's accepted, accepted in vain, is that grace that is preached or that, that grace that is received it's believed that says, I don't want to go to hell. It sounds hot and terrifying, but I also don't really want to live a life that treasures Jesus or follows Jesus or, or imitates Jesus. I, I don't want the flames, but I also don't want the accountability. I don't want the discipline of living a life that God has for me. But this costly grace, it wants both heaven and discipleship. Costly grace that is preached and costly grace that is received by us says, I want the kingdom of God. I, I want so badly to have that pearl of great price. I will go and sell everything else. Costly grace says, I want less and less of me and more and more of Jesus. I'll decrease that Christ might increase in me. I want heaven and I'll put on any character or take off any characteristic that causes me to either look more like Christ or causes me to follow him in a deeper ways. I will accept anything. I will say yes to anything that makes me more like Christ. And if there's things in me that don't look like Jesus, I will gladly take those things off. Here's another thought about cheap grace and costly grace. Cheap grace keeps returning you to sin, but costly grace keeps calling you out of sin. Cheap grace just keeps returning you to sin over and over again. Now, why is that? That's because cheap grace forgets the love of Christ and forgets the cross of Christ that gave you new life. Cheap grace is that grace that's easily forgotten until you desperately need God, then you run back to him for more grace. Cheap grace just keeps you returning to sin or to addiction or, or to anger or to self-centeredness it keeps you coming back to, to a place of sin, to a place of anger. Now, why is that? Because cheap grace says you forget about the cross. You forget about the sacrifice of Jesus. You forget about your daily relationship with Jesus. It becomes so far removed from your daily thoughts. Cheap grace allows you to run to sin without tripping over the cross because you have forgotten about the cross. The costly grace keeps calling you out of sin Costly grace makes you cling every day to the love of Jesus. It makes you cling every day to the cross of Christ that gave you new life. Costly grace keeps calling you out of sin. It calls you to run away from sin, to move away from sin. That this costly grace, even when you do sin, you quickly repent. You, you quickly return to, to, to that relationship with the Lord. Costly grace 
quickly calls, calls you to come back to the Lord. Costly grace is a daily reminder of all that Christ has done for you. His mercy and his grace are, are constantly before you. And Paul's gonna say something very similar to this costly grace definition uh, to the pastor Titus. In Titus chapter two, he'll say, for the grace of God, it has appeared to all men. And that grace It teaches you to say no to ungodliness and no to worldly passions and instead to live a life of righteousness in this present age. You see, Paul was not saying you stay away from sin by being legalistic. He said you stay away from sin by clinging to grace. It is grace that teaches us. Grace is a great teacher. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness to say no to worldly passions. Costly grace keeps calling you out of sin. And now let me quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Cheap grace justifies the sin. Costly grace justifies the sinner. Cheap grace justifies the sin. Cheap grace says, I'm gonna sin one more time because one more time won't hurt. Cheap grace says that my sin is not as bad as his sin. Cheap grace says I'm only human. Cheap grace says I'll stop sinning when I get older. Cheap grace convinces a woman or a man that sin does not really hurt you that much or doesn't hurt anybody else at all. But costly grace, costly grace justifies the sinner. Costly grace justifies us. In other words, it puts us in right standing with God through trust in Christ. Costly grace, listen, costly grace deals with our heart. Cheap grace just deals with our behavior. But costly grace comes straight to the heart, not just our behaviors. Costly grace says that that you'll never change your actions, you'll never change your behaviors until you've allowed Jesus to take full control of your heart and your life. This is why Paul says here, don't Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't accept a cheap grace. Stand in, fall on the costly grace of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter six, let's pick up in verse three. Paul says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, in hardships and calamities, Beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Let's stop right there. Now, there are nine things in these three verses that Paul mentions gives him credibility to his ministry. It gives him a commendation, if you will, to a trueness of his ministry or the standing of their ministry, Paul and Timothy's. And it is not that we have this this really big house, Paul is saying. It's not that we have these impressive oratory skills. It's not that we have this haze machine or or 20,000 Instagram followers. That's not what gives us credibility in ministry. In fact, he gives us nine things. I I underlined them on the screen. You can underline them in your Bible as well. They kind of begin here in the middle of verse four. I'll start at the beginning of verse four. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way because we've had great endurance in these nine things. Afflictions, hardships, calamities, beginning verse five, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. What is the spirit of the Lord saying to us today? Here's the point I would ask you to consider. There is a costliness to following Christ and representing Christ in this present world. Paul had experienced all of those things. The super apostles, the false teachers there in Corinth, 
They were saying, don't, don't trust Paul. Look at him. He has all these problems. Look at us. We don't have any problems. Uh, listen to him. He's not that impressive when he speaks. He can write himself a weighty letter, but he's not that great when he talks. But when we speak, we, 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 we have great skills. Look at him. He's not even much impressive to, to look at, but, but look at us. L- look at us as, as Greeks. We are strong. We are fit. And Paul's saying, I'll tell you the, the proof of my ministry. I've been beaten. I've been imprisoned. I have gone nights without sleep. People have rioted against me because there's a costliness to following Christ and representing Christ in this, in this present world. Most of us in this room, we don't know this in the South. In fact, it's, it's actually almost to our advantage to be a Christian here in the South or at least to, to be a tame Christian here in the South. But it is true that, that many of our family members across the globe, this is their daily life. In the year 2022, it was said, stated that 360 million Christians lived in a, in a part of the world where they were heavily persecuted weekly. 360 million. That number went up by 10 million just between 2021 and 2022. So in, 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 this, in this world in which we live, it is not as if our family members are experiencing less persecution now. They're experiencing more persecution. Uh, maybe we should have one of them come and preach this message. That there is a costliness to following Christ. There is a costliness to representing Jesus in this present world. Now, now for us, though, maybe the costliness would be this. In, in our present time, in this present place, what would that costliness look like? Uh, maybe it would be you giving other things up so that you can serve. Or maybe cutting some expenditures so you can give more to the causes of Christ. Or you may have to walk away from some friendships that don't press you forward in Jesus. I will say this, and I have always felt that probably God has gifted me more to be a priest than, than a prophet, but we're not that far off, America, from being at a place where it's gonna cost us to follow Jesus. And it's gonna be interesting to see what holds and what gives in our own hearts. We need to be prepared at a moment's notice that following Jesus and representing Jesus in the culture in which we presently find ourselves, it might cost us. Second Corinthians chapter six, verses six and seven. A list continues, but now it's a different list. Verse six, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and, and the power of God and with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Interesting, there are nine things again that, that Paul says gives him strength and Highland, I would say, gives us strength as well to walk in power and, and to walk in love and to walk in confidence in this present age. Nine things that served as proof of God's hand on Paul's Ministry. I underline them again on the screen for you. You can underline them in your Bible if you want to. Nine things. Purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, the power of God, the weapons of righteousness, one for the right, one for the left. Here's maybe a point you could write down as it reflects here in verses six and seven. A life consumed by the gospel becomes a great apologetic for the gospel. A life that is, is following Christ with, with everything that we have, that you have, it becomes a great apologetic, a, a great evidence 
of the power and the reality and the validity and the credibility of the gospel itself. This is what Paul is saying. If you want proof of my ministry, but more than that, proof that Christ is real and he is risen and he is reigning in my life and in the world, look and see how the gospel has impacted my life, Paul is saying, and the effects of the gospel that have consumed me and let that be the proof, let that be the apologetic for the gospel. Now, please remember with me that before Paul believed upon Christ, Saul was a hater. He was an approver of murder. He was an angry man of of revenge, but now the gospel has come in and has radically rearranged the life of Paul. And one of the biggest apologetics, again, an evidence to reason for people to believe on Christ today in Waco, it's not the created universe. It's not a beautifully delivered sermon. It's not a harsh debate that is won. It's a life that is all in on the gospel. It's a life that is all in on Jesus, a life of purity. Look at this list again, a life of purity. I mean, we could probably stop right there and say that immediately is gonna separate you from the rest of of the citizens of our nation. Just living a life of purity, a speech of purity, of knowledge, we're growing in our understanding of Christ, of, of patience, one of the fruit of the Spirit, kindness, another fruit of the Spirit, and then the person himself, the Holy Spirit in our lives, love, another fruit of the Spirit. Truthfulness? I don't have enough time to talk about truthfulness today. But in our, our nation, the reality of our nation, if Christians would just speak the truth, we would shine brightly. Because we're living in a culture right now that does not like truth, does not speak truth, does not print truth, does not post truth. And so if we're to live a life that's totally consumed by the gospel, you and I become the greatest apologetic of the gospel in our city, in our nation, just by living a life of of truthfulness, of power and weapons of righteousness. This is fascinating. I'll, I'll tell you right off the top. No one really knows what Paul's talking about here when he says righteousness, a weapon of righteousness, one for his right hand and one for his left hand. That may be symbolic that he has all the righteousness that he needs in Christ Jesus. Um, Some theologians have proposed that he is speaking about two weapons that he's gonna write about later on, the weapon of faith and the weapon of prayer. Maybe those are the weapons of, of righteousness. Whatever it is, God has given us everything we need for battle. That's probably the best way to interpret that. And so as you and I enter the spiritual warfare of Waco this week, we have everything that we need. And the greatest testimony you and I can give to our city is that you and I, our lives are consumed by the gospel. That becomes the greatest evidence to reason for the power of the gospel of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter six, verse eight. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as Imposters, and yet we know we're true. But we're treated as we're unknown, and yet we're also well-known. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, and yet we're not killed. As sorrowful, yet we're always rejoicing. As poor, yet we're making many of you spiritually rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. Again, surprise, surprise, we have nine things. Nine things that show the joy and the difficulty of being a minister. And and Christians, note one more time, you are a minister. You've been given a spiritual gift by the Holy Spirit on the day of your salvation to minister 
to others, specifically to minister to the body of Christ. And so when I say minister, don't think that this is a self-serving sermon just about the preacher and, and the staff members at Highland. This is for every Christian in this room today or watching online today. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a minister of Christ. And Paul lays out right here the joy and the difficulty of being a minister in Waco, Texas. And every Christian being a minister says here that this is true of all Christians who serve and, and who minister and who lead and who shepherd and who influence in our city. So again, I underline them in your Bible or on the screen. You can underline these nine things also. Let me just say them again. This is the interesting balance, Highland, of being a Christian in our culture today. There's this interesting balance of joy and difficulty. So Paul talks about honor and dishonor, slander and praise. We're treated as imposters, but we're true. We're treated like we're unknown, yet everybody knows us. We're dying and we live. We're punished, but we're not killed. We're, we're sorrowful, yet we're always rejoicing. We're poor, and again, spiritually speaking, we're making many of you rich. We have nothing, but we possess everything. Here's the best way, I think, for me to describe this as it pertains to you and I this week ministering the gospel in Jesus, uh, in, to, of Jesus in Waco. Light is comforting for those who are afraid in the dark, but it's irritating to those who are asleep in the dark. When you bring the light of the gospel, you bring the light of Jesus Christ to someone who is struggling with fear, uncertainty, pain, grief, doubt, confusion, lostness, that light is so welcomed because they were fearful in the dark. They were hoping that someone would come and, and shine light. But have you ever walked into a room when someone is asleep and they wanna be asleep and you flip on the light and they look at you like a grizzly bear coming out of hibernation? Like, why would you turn that? I've seen that look before. I've, I've had teenagers. I've seen that look before. Of like, why would you, this isn't even your room. Why would you come in here? Why would you turn the light? And, and they're squinting and they can't see and they're irritated by the light. That's what the gospel is to those who love the dark. That's what the gospel is to those who love their sin, who love their self-centeredness, who love their humanism, who, who love their idols, who love their addiction. The light of the gospel is annoying to them. But, but here's the deal. You never know the response until you share the gospel. You never know how someone is going to receive the gospel until you share the gospel. And there may be times that you share with someone that you think they're never gonna wanna hear the gospel. They love the dark and you share the gospel with them and they fall on the grace of Jesus. Highland, we never know until we minister the gospel to our coworkers. We minister the gospel to our neighbors. We minister the gospel to our family. We never know how they are going to respond because if they're afraid in the dark, they're gonna love the light. But if they love the darkness, they're gonna be irritated by the light of the gospel. So in Corinthians chapter six, uh, verses 11 through 13, wrap up this little section here. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Some of your translations actually have the word, oh, Corinthians. There's, there's, there's a statement of passion here. We have, we have spoken so freely to you, Corinthians. Again, we, meaning Paul and Timothy, our, plural, our heart is wide open. This, by the way, is one of the major themes of the book of 2 Corinthians. Um, there is a, a great commentary on the book of 2 Corinthians by, by Kent, 
and the name of his book is Hearts Wide Open. That's the name of his entire commentary on 2 Corinthians because it's based off of this section right here. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I'm gonna speak to you like my own kids, widen your hearts also. Remember, there's been some struggle between Paul and the Corinthians and the Corinthians toward Paul. Paul loved this church, but at times was having to discipline them like a child. Paul reserved some of his harshest words in all of the New Testament for the church of Corinth. He constantly was calling them out of sin. Well, first of all, he would call out their sin. Then he would call them out of sin. He was constantly disciplining them from afar telling them the things that they were not doing right. So there was this tension between the two. But here, Paul and Timothy just say in love, you need to understand our hearts are wide open to you. We are not restricting our love toward you or affection toward you. Please don't restrict your love toward us. I'm gonna speak to you as if you were my own kids. Verse 13, widen your heart. Love well, love others, love widely, love wildly. My last point, we never go wrong when we widen our hearts to love others even more. Highland, you will never go wrong in this life by just widening your heart to love others more and more. It's it's just always the right decision. You don't have to approve. You don't have to affirm. You just love You don't have to like, you don't have to condone, you just love. You don't have to agree politically, you just love. I'm gonna say that one again. You don't have to agree politically, you just love. You don't have to be best friends, you just love. Highland, this is a good word for our city today, a good word for our nation today. We never go wrong. Christians never go wrong when we widen our hearts to love others more and more and more and more. Widen your hearts. Would you stand with me, please, for us to pray together? Father, thank you for the reminder today from 2 Corinthians chapter six of of the marks of our lives if we're gonna choose to to follow you. God, we, we forgive us when we have leaned on cheap grace. Forgive us when we have tried to receive your grace in vain. Remind us of the expensive nature of grace, the costliness of grace to you. God, your word reminds us today that we're gonna be all in with Jesus. It's gonna cost us something. If we're gonna be all in with you, there's gonna be days of, of joy and days of difficulty, days of delight and days of sorrow, but we never know how the light is gonna be received by others until we share the light. God, this week, would you help us to identify ourselves as ministers? Not just members of a certain church in town, but ministers of the gospel. God, when our lives are consumed by the gospel, we become an incredible apologetic for the gospel in this city and in our home. 
debates might have their place, pointing people to the expansive nature of the universe certainly helps people see the, the largeness of God, but, but the gospel has evidenced reasons when they see what it's done to us. Because the old is gone and behold, everything is new. Father, thank you for your word to us today. Now, may we, by your spirit, receive it and now bear fruit because of it and much fruit because of it and fruit that will last because of it. In Christ we pray, amen. A little different today since we had communion earlier. The altars are, are available for you if you want to in these next couple of songs just to come and, and kneel here at the front. Maybe there's some things that the Lord pointed out to you from his word today and it would be a ceiling of what the Lord has taught you just by coming and kneeling before him, laying your lives before him, opening your, your heart, your arms before him. Or perhaps you're here today with, with, with a sickness, a surgery that's coming up soon an illness that has plagued you for a while. So we have our, our elders and our spouses will be far left, far right at the elder prayer station. Maybe you wanna come forward and have them anoint you with oil and to pray for healing in your life. Physical healing, emotional healing, that's available to you. We also have some staff members here at the front. If you wanna come and pray with one of us, we would love to hear how we can pray for you and then spend some time praying with you. But I don't wanna rush too quickly past what, what Paul said. When he talked about the grace of God, is, is God listening to us and God rescuing us on the day of our salvation? And then Paul says a little phrase that perhaps many of you have heard before, and today is the day of salvation. Maybe for some here, I'm not asking if you're churched, I'm not asking if you've been baptized, I'm not asking if you've been a member, I'm asking, are you saved? Are you in Christ? For you, has becoming a Christian been something you, you thought, I'll do that someday? What about today? Today is the day of salvation. Perhaps teenagers, children, adults. You wanna come forward and tell one of the staff members here, today is the day of salvation for me. I have leaned on cheap grace. I am ready to step into that costly grace that gives me new life. Church, let's sing together. Let's not be a still stoic church today. Let's sing and worship and come and kneel and pray. Our God is with us now. Today, may it be the day of your salvation.